Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. Analyzing. In this episode, I'm interviewing Tegan Peterson. Now, Tegan is the fiance now of a uh, young lady that I call my daughter. When she fell in love with this guy, I wanted to know his story. As you'll see, he's young, he's a fresh face, he looks like life has been nothing but puppy dogs and roses. He's got a story, he knows hard. He has experience, and he has overcome. He's inspiring. So, Tegan, you uh, tell me a little bit about how you uh, how you met that lovely individual that we both call Mandy. So, Mandy and I met in Cincinnati, um, both serving our missions. Right. And so, she had been out just a week, and I had been out probably close to 17 months at that point. So 17 was, months. And how long do you go? How long are you out? 24 months. 24 so I was on the downhill stretch. Downhill. And I uh, tell me about that first moment you saw her. What what was going through your head? It was really cool because on, on missions, you're not necessarily supposed to have those kinds of interests uh-huh. um, in the young ladies. But it was kind of cool that, you know, she seemed a little bit different and I really wanted to get to know her. But you have to be really strategic when you're in that situation. Yeah, what variety of different was she? She was really special. You know, she really, she cared about people and it wasn't anything uh, for selfish gain. It was very authentic. Uh It was really cool. I really like that about her. She's just so happy and joyful, like in every situation. There is a group of of people. I haven't found any men yet that that qualify as this. I've found a very short list of uh, women that that qualify, but they're they're human sunshine. Hmm. And uh, Mandy is is in that group for me. She is the kind of person where she walks in the room and uh, the room gets brighter and everybody gets happier. Yeah, that's a great way to describe her. Yeah, yeah. And then you got to watch out because a billion years from now, when you're my age, she'll want to build a house. And then she'll build herself as a house. And then the house sparkles and it's shiny. It's got a bunch of glass and it's high maintenance and and it's expensive (laughs) as all get out. Yeah, no, that's a, it's the part of marriage that you don't think about uh-huh. until you're in it and then it's too late. <laughs> too late forever. Um, LDS mission, you, um, tell me about your, your favorite part and your hardest part, uh, on, on that, uh, on that mission. I think my favorite part is you have the opportunity to talk to people that you wouldn't otherwise. Right. You know, never, never in a million years does a white kid from Highland, Utah, get to sit down with a notorious drug dealer and talk about how his mom just died and he's broken up about it. Sounds like you had that moment. It was so cool. Tell me about that moment. You know, you get to see these people that on the outside, they seem so rough and so hard. But everybody, I feel like on a fundamental level, is the same. We all feel the same things. We all want the same things. We all have the same desires. It's just the way we go about it that's a little bit different. Uh-huh. How, uh, well, a little bit different. How are you, how did you go about life differently at that moment than he did, do you think? Mm. I think it's a lot of, of how we were raised. 
Uh-huh. You know, his idea of hard work and mine are a little different. And it, the law was who's to say which is right and which is wrong. But really, when it comes down to it, we all want the same things. We all want to be happy. Right. And his way of going about it was a little bit rougher, a little bit more violent. But that's the way that he grew up. Right. You know, and it was in that moment that I kind of realized who's to say that my way is right. Uh-huh. I certainly think it's right. Uh-huh. I think if everybody jumped on board, it'd be awesome. Right. But everybody goes about it differently. And it was that moment that I kind of realized that we are, we're all chasing the same goal, but we all have a different way of going about it. And there's no right and wrong. Yeah. And, you know, to get, this isn't necessarily a religious-based uh, podcast, but I'm not afraid to go there. For me, our Heavenly Father is the reason why he calls us, he, call, he has us call him our Heavenly Father is because he teaches us as if he were a father. Hmm. This, is, this is my beliefs speaking. Um, and a father is going to go, yeah, you can go outside, but don't run around in the street. Or if you do, make sure there's no cars coming because you might get run over. Right. If you're going to run out and deal drugs, for example, you might get run over. Uh, you know, you're running with a rough crowd. Yeah. And I think for that reason, our, our father would give us the same advice as our heavenly father is like, yeah, that's not the world's best idea. You're not helping people and you could get run over. Right. So was that your, uh, your, your best experience or your, or your worst or was it both? It was probably up there with the best. Uh It's really cool to, to have those types of experiences, you know, maybe not that one in particular, but just seeing people for the face value that you see them. And then as you get talking, there's so much below the surface and just being able to pick that apart, which is probably something you've been able to experience with, you know, a platform like this. Right. But just the real honest and raw conversations to have with people were the highlight of my mission for sure. What was the low light? The hardest part is, is probably trying to maintain that really high level, you know, for, for missionaries, there's, you know, the worthiness aspect, there's the professionalism, there's the dress code, there's all these things and trying to stay on top of it while still maintaining my personality Mm -hmm. and the, what makes me unique. Um, it was a, it was a challenge at times for sure. Yeah. I, I would imagine for me, it was really hard to get up at six o'clock when I was supposed to. Yeah. It's like this body gets up at eight. Thank you very much. So, uh, so yeah, it, it was difficult for me to get up anywhere near six o'clock and, um, studying the scriptures for an hour doesn't come naturally for me. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe it doesn't come naturally for anybody, but I'm, I'm a wuss, you know, I, I, I don't do hard as well as somebody else might do hard. Um, so, so basically it, for you, it was trying to do all the things you were supposed to and still be you. Yeah. Yeah. And still trying to improve on what was me, but trying to figure out what parts of me are the parts that are okay to preserve and what parts it's okay to let go of. Because, you know, in in any situation, you're always best off preserving the authentic you. And then the question is what's really authentic and what's just a bad habit. Right. Um, what were the bad habits you, you, you worked on? I think it was a lot of, um, 
you know, knowing the right place and the right time and being able to see people for who they are and not whatever lens that I might put up, you know, lenses of, of this person's worse off than I am or better off than I am. And really trying to see everybody the same Mm -hmm. and in the right light and, and things like, you know, it's, it's really easy to be funny when you maybe say some off color things, Uh but is that appropriate? Right. Or is that the kind of person that you want to be and trying to figure out those things in the scope of the person you want to be and the person you're trying to be and the person you are currently. Tell me more about that. What is, what is that? What does that battle look and feel Mm. like? I, you know, personally I had an experience where I, I went to the mission president and I told him some things about myself that I didn't really like and that I wanted to change. And it was met with some resistance and it was met with this idea of, you know, you're, those things aren't changeable. And that was probably one of the lowest points is hearing that you can't be better than you are. And, and that, yeah, that kind of blows me away too. I had one moment with my mission president, uh, you know, a number of years, decades previous to yours, of course. And I walked in there, just a dude who was trying to do a thing. I walked out of there and I was surprised my, my shoes were on the floor. I, I floated for hours after that. Mm-hmm. I don't have any idea what he said, but I knew that I was motivated um, to be what I felt like he told me I was, you know, to become that. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the things you were trying to, to lose? What, were, what did you tell him you wanted to get rid of? I just told him that I, I wanted to get rid of anything that was holding me back from being the best person that I could be, Uh you know, whether that's procrastinations or whether that's, you know, bad habits or bad mindsets. And it was a, it was a very discouraging conversation. Uh It wasn't uplifting at all. And it was in that, like that really low moment that I think I learned the most. Oh, let's talk about that. You learned the most in your low moment. Would Let me back up one more question. Would you say that is the lowest moment in your life or, or was there another? Um, it was probably the lowest on my mission, but I've definitely had some lower moments just in life. Okay, let's talk about the lowest in your mission and then let's talk about the lowest in your life. Sure. Sure. I think on my mission, it was that feeling of hopelessness. And, you know, where do I go? When I, I turned to this person that's supposed to be my source of strength, and he didn't hold up to that. Uh-huh. And it was good because there's there's one source of strength, and that's God. Right. But in the immediate, you can't always rely on somebody else to motivate you. And that's when I kind of realized that discipline is always better than motivation. That is an interesting statement. What is the difference for you between different discipline and motivation? For me, motivation is anything that comes from the outside in, Uh whether it's listening to somebody who can really get you pumped up or, you know, you have a deadline to meet. Even that to me is motivation. But the, the discipline comes from within and it's making yourself do those hard things or those uncomfortable things, even when you don't want to. Right. Because if you only do what you need to do when you want to do it, you're not going to get very far. Yeah. And um, I I have had this a similar kind of conversation with my wife a number of times. You know, there's there's 
motivation, you can motivate, for example, your employees. And uh, you can give them a rah-rah speech, and they'll be, yeah, let's get them. And then they wake up tomorrow morning, and that's gone. Right. It fades fast. It fades way fast. So um, there are other much better ways to do leadership than to try and motivate. Hmm. And I'm still searching for the word while I'm trying to gather it, but I'm I'm not gathering it, so I'm just going to admit to this failure. But discipline, um, coming from within, that sounds like the right way to do it. Yeah, that's, it's like the one thing that that doesn't change. Uh-huh. You are always on your own side. At least I would hope so. But if you rely on those outside sources somebody's going to let you down at some point. You know, that was the experience I had. I went to somebody for strength and I didn't receive it. And I dare say, yeah, I know that uh, Mandy had uh, less than awesome experiences with the same dude. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the Lord's servants are still human beings. Right. And I may be oversimplifying, but they're still going to suck. Right. And that was, that was a big thing for me too, is to realize that, Everybody is trying to do the right thing. Uh-huh. And from my perspective, and I know for sure from Mandy's, he was a dirtbag, right? He was doing the worst thing, and it almost seemed like on purpose. But to really take the humble approach and to realize he's probably trying to do what he thinks is right. Right. It might not seem like that, and it might not be what's intrinsically right, but we're all trying to move forward at the same time rate toward the same goal. And that was a huge realization in getting past that is he's not trying to tear me down, right? His motive, his style of motivation maybe just didn't resonate with me. Uh And that's why it's so important that I had to know for myself where I was going and what I was trying to do and not let, you know, his style of trying to help didn't, it was detrimental. Right. But realizing that he's not a bad person, maybe just did some bad things. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe his, the way he was programmed resulted in advice that doesn't necessarily work for everybody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I've had those moments in my life as well. Uh, siblings who, uh, let, you know, I just left my, it, it was, it was my lowest moment and uh, I ended up going to a sibling. We'll, we'll leave it there. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting betrayed. Mm. And so 20 some odd years later, I still feel betrayed and there's anger and there's resentment and there's a lot of those kinds of words. But it is true now that you mention it, that he was probably trying to do what he thought was the best thing to do. Which is a hard realization to come to. Right. But I think it's it's trying to see it from their perspective. Uh-huh. At least that's what it was for me. And realizing, well, I can see why he might have seen a different outcome with uh, that comment. Right. You know, or whatever it was. But it's hard. And it's it's I think it's a learned skill. It's not something you just turn around and start doing. But as you practice that, you know, with whatever it is, I think politics is a great example. It's so polarizing and neither side is evil, but they're viewed as such by the other. Good point. They're they're both trying to cause goodness in the way that they think goodness should happen. Right. At least in the general sense. I mean, there's probably bad people everywhere. Uh-huh. But I would say the majority of people are all trying to do the right thing, just in different ways. So you had this moment where you're like, 
I'm low. I have, I need, and this is a very man thing and it happens whether you're 19 or 91. Mm. Um, you go, I'm low. Who am I going to go to? In most cases, us guys, we don't allow ourselves anybody. In your case, you had somebody who you hoped and thought and wished could help you. And he didn't have the tools. Right. How did you pick yourself up after that? I think it was realizing that everybody falls down. And it's the same mentality to get back up. It's like the the one step at a time. You know, and anything in in the holistic view is so scary and so hard to move forward. But it's a lot easier to just start with a little bit at a time. Pick yourself up. Take the next breath. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if the next breath is all you can get to, then that's a win when you get there. Uh-huh. And take a minute to realize, like, you got it. You know, that was, a, that was a big thing for me throughout my whole mission. Two years is a long time. Bottom line is that uh, whether whether a person is your leader or not, whether they're your friend or not, regardless of who they are to you, what their title is, um, you're responsible for you. That's what I'm hearing for, from you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's always helpful. And, you know, one of the that's one of the things us men do to ourselves is we like to think that because we're responsible, that, that I'm re- responsible for me. That when I've got, when I'm low, then I go to me and me only. And guess what? Me doesn't have all the answers. Right. And so then there's got to be somebody that we reach out to. And that's, that's one of the things we're working on building with this podcast. You said there were other lows in your life. Talk to me about one of those. I think, I think probably the lowest and something that isn't unique by any means, Mm -hmm. um, but for a long time, I really did not have a good relationship with my dad. With your dad. And it was that, that same thing where, you, you know, you feel like you have somebody to rely on and, and maybe you can't. Yeah. How much of that uh, are you comfortable explaining or, or detailing? I think, I mean, obviously it's still pretty fresh, right? I still see him relatively frequently, but I've, I've gotten to a point where I think I've forgiven him. Uh-huh. He understands that, and I think it's very beneficial to talk about because it's so common. Was there a divorce? Yeah. Okay, and he left, and what age were you then? I think I was 11. Okay. My parents split. So it's been about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a good opportunity to talk about, and that's probably the low you were going to talk about anyway, is yeah. here you were 10 years old, and life was moving as everybody thinks it should, and the next thing you know, your dad's gone and there's all kinds of turmoil. What was the turmoil going on in your own mind and your own gut? I think for me, it was a lot of inadequacy uh-huh. and it was the feeling of, you know, my, I think my dad always wanted somebody just like him as a son, you know, and he and I are very different. How so? Uh, he, he's super athletic. Uh-huh. You know, he, he wrestled and he played football and I'm, like mediocre at best. Uh I was a little bit more artistic and a little bit more thoughtful. And when, when I was younger, it was hard because I, I didn't want to do the things he wanted me to do, you know, but I tried and I wasn't good. And so in that situation, it's really easy to feel like, well, no wonder he doesn't want to be with me. I'm not good enough. Right. I'm not enough. Exactly. And, uh, what were, what 
what was he trying to get you to do? Throw a baseball, throw a football? Yeah, wrestle, play, you know, be tough. Uh-huh. Be a manly man. And, and I'm thankful for aspects of that, for sure. How so? I think I think everything that my dad taught me, whether it's good examples or bad, and there's there's plenty of both, there's always something to learn. And even these even these really bad situations where, for example, I after the divorce had horrible separation anxiety. Uh, anxiety from who? When would that anxiety happen? When he left? When your mom left? When? Yeah, anytime I was alone. So like going to school, man, I remember probably third or fourth grade, I would just break down crying at school. Like uh-huh. I couldn't do it. And, you know, it'd be my dad's weekend and, and he knew that this was something I struggled with and he would go out on a date and leave me with my brothers and I would just, just break down. And it was almost like that feeling of, of the separation again and again and again. Uh-oh. And it was, it was things like that, that is a horrible experience, but I feel like is a chance to learn to validate other people's feelings, even if they're not, not the same, you know, from his perspective, I'm 12 years old. I should be able to stay at home by myself. Yeah. I go to a moment in my, my life when I did the divorce and, uh, one of my kids, she said, we'll be good. And I thought, Oh crap, you don't understand and I don't think I'm going to be able to make you understand it has nothing to do about you Hmm. you know it's about I can't with the ex-wife yeah but I think every kid is going to go to they had the divorce because I'm not ex right is is that what you did to yourself I think so I think maybe to a, a small degree um, and it, a lot of it was just so much anger, right? And you don't know what to do with it, especially when it's your dad. You know, it's someone that you're supposed to look up to and someone you've been taught to respect. It's really hard as a kid to find that way to voice a contrary opinion to any adult but to your dad. Uh-huh. And that was something I really struggled with is I didn't know how to tell him that I thought what he was doing was wrong. Because who am I to say? Yeah, you're the kid. You're supposed to be, yeah, I get exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. So then you're all kinds of turmoiled. Yeah, and it, it lasted for a long time. And I think I built that resentment, and there was just so many things that I felt abandoned. I felt betrayed. I felt cheated, right? I felt like these these women that he was taking on dates that he treated better than my mom or these new kids, that was the hardest, man. He would bring these kids home the other woman's kids and just be so good to them. You always wonder, well, why am I not treated that way? I must be less than. Exactly. Exactly. And that it was, I mean, it's a long time of that and trying to sift through those feelings and understand the reason behind them. And for a kid, it's so hard. You know, you just don't get it. No, you're you're never going to get it. You've got, you got teenage brain. Right. And right. and that's just not going to process. I think I still well. have teenage brain a lot of the time. <laughs> My wife tells me I've got five year old brain. <laughs> You've uh, mended that relationship somewhat. Mm-hmm. How so? Well, it it started where we you know we didn't talk for a long time, and it was it was really tense, um, and there was a long period where it was just isolation. 
And we, we actually live in the same neighborhood, which makes it really hard. Uh-huh. You know, you see him all the time. And every time I would see him or he would text me or I would try and text him, it was just such a flood of emotion. Um, and I finally decided, I think I was probably 17, that I was going to sit down and I was going to man to man tell him about this and explain what's going on. And that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah, and I, I was thinking of that. It was like, when do we have a moment when we can sit down and say, this is how I feel? Yeah. You had that moment. Yeah, and it, it did not quite go according to plan. How so? It was hard. It was met with a lot of a lot of unwillingness to see the other side, like we were talking about earlier. And I think from both sides, uh-huh. it was a lot of, of I'm right and you're wrong and and I'm the adult and you're the kid, right? And or the the vice versa. You don't ever listen to how I'm feeling or validate that. And it was really tense, you know, and I remember my stomach was all twisted up and I couldn't even think and I was trying so hard not to cry. Cause this is a man to man discussion. Right. But uh even at seventeen, like I you know, you you just feel like you're on the verge of, of breaking down the whole time. And um you know, I I go back to I think it's Seven Habits by Stephen Covey, mm-hmm. and he talks about how he uh, he was talking to a man who came up and complained to him after one of the meetings. He says, "I don't understand my son. He doesn't listen to me." And Steve, uh, I'm going to call him Steve. It's easier to say. He he says uh, he he says say that to me again. The guy says, "I don't understand my son. He doesn't listen to me." And the guy still didn't get it. And Steve, Stephen, Mr. Covey, he says, basically, I have to paraphrase because I don't remember it, but basically, how would your son ever understand you if you're expecting him to just listen to you? Hmm. Or no, how would you expect to understand your son if you're only talking to him, basically, is the oh, point. Oh, right, yeah, if you're not getting any feedback. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if he's not talking, you're not going to understand him. Right. And as the dad, I think we're we're expected to have another set of skills where it's like I don't it doesn't really matter if I agree with you, I have to listen to you because I'm the dad. Often I think that's turned around where it's like you have to listen to me because I'm the dad. But if that's the only rule in town, it doesn't work very well. Right. Right. It's very one sided. Yeah. And it doesn't result in a relationship. Yeah. If you're my son and I want to understand you, I've got to listen to you. So I, I think that was probably uh, a crime he was committing at the moment. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. That's tough. So now you're being the uh, the guy at 17 who is being asked to be the greater man than your dad, who was probably, what, 40, 45, thereabouts? Yeah, right around there. And he didn't have a skill set that now you had to have where you were trying to balance against his lack of skills. Um, did you have them? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Because that, like I said, that event was not, I mean, it, it didn't do any good. Right. And it it probably made it worse because for, you know, the following years, we really didn't talk you know i quit going to his house on the weekends and it was better for both of us but mm-hmm. it was still hard you know i had awesome men in my life but i didn't really have my dad so you put other men around you 
that was absolutely my strategy. I got so close with my uncle, so close with my grandpa. I have an incredible stepdad. You know, any any male figure I gravitated to so so intensely because I was I think I was trying to fill that role. Right. Yeah. And um, going again back to my own background, um, one of my children relied on me heavily when I left. She had nobody else to replace that with. Turned out badly. Yeah. Really badly. Um, screwed up life. Very sad. So, you know, the fact that, I'm going to say that the fact that you went to him, whether or not he had the skills to have that conversation, that's, that will have, that, that proves some steel in you. And again, going back to, to my life's experiences, one of the things that I never did is I never went to the ex-wife before she was my ex-wife and said, look, I can't handle this. The X, Y, and Z are beyond my ability to manage. Yeah. I can't. You know, I never gave her that moment. And that's my fault. So I'm, telling, I'm mentioning that because you actually did have that moment with your dad. And as a result, your conscience is very clear. I mean, it may not have turned out well, but you did it. How, how was that moment a, a blessing to you, I guess? I think, I think in that moment, I, it, it wasn't. I didn't, hadn't realized it as such yet. Right. Um, but I think in, in moving forward, it was really trying to understand his side. Mm -hmm. The same thing we talked about earlier and, and taking, you know, anything that he had done and putting it in the past, because that's where it is, and you can't change it. And then trying to think less selfishly. Selfishly, I am without a relationship with my father. Right. Right. But on the flip side, he's without the relationship of his oldest son. Right. And trying to look at those kind of things. You know, I, yes, I feel abandoned that he would rather spend time with some girl he met on Tinder and all of her kids than myself. But looking at it from the perspective of, Five nights a week, he's home by himself, right? And and that's got to be lonely. Been there, done that. Yeah. You know, and I can speak to that as well, having done my own divorce. Um, you go from being in a house full of noise and sound and laughter and arguing, mostly arguing, uh, to silence. Hmm. And turning on the TV just reminds you that there's nothing happening. You can play the radio, but it's just the radio, and it still just screams at you. There is silence, and there is loneliness, and there is onlyness in the space. Uh, so on on that subject, I can identify with him. You've got to fill the void, or I don't know how you do it. Yeah, I mean, that's it's just the isolation. And especially when you're so used to that, like you're saying, for 10, 15 years, whatever, however long it's been. Uh -huh. That's got to be crushing, crushing, you know? especially when it is your doing. Right. And I always looked at that as a punishment, right? Well, yeah, if you did this, you deserve that. Uh huh. But that's so unfair, right? We all make mistakes, maybe not to that degree, but that's a pretty unfair perspective to put on someone. Right. And it was realizing that, that my heart started to change and that we were really able to work toward that forgiveness. Yeah. And 
Another one of my favorite quotes that applies here actually comes from your future father-in-law, Nathan. He says, um, not choosing to forgive someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Mm. And I know something about that. Yeah. So you've, you've learned how to not drink the poison. Or you've uh, you've learned how if the poison's already in there, you choose to make it Kool-Aid. Yeah, you water it down a little bit yeah. if you can. <laughs> but somehow you've managed to turn that poison into not poison, something else. What does that do for you? Why would you want to do that? It's been awesome. You know, it it's, it's almost like we were talking about earlier with motivation and discipline. Uh-huh. If you're always waiting for the other person to fix the problem... It's never going to happen because uh-huh. nine times out of 10, they're thinking the same thing. That's right. And it was realizing that, that now I'm going to take it upon myself to forgive him mm-hmm. and to get all my cards on the table and to get to the point where I can say, yes, you've done some wrong, but you've done some right and try to remember those good things. And, and now, you know, I love my dad. I haven't forgotten all the things that he's done and the things that have hurt me and, you know, some negative repercussions that still affect me. Mm-hmm. we're not we're not overly close but we have that relationship where i know i can go and i can see him and i can be civil and i can love him and have as good of a relationship as we can in the current situation and understand that it can get better as you both will allow exactly it uh you know that reminds me also of i just barely finished a uh, one of those I want to call it a self-help group, but it wasn't self-help. It was you go to a place and you get you have these experiences and they they change you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was right after one of those I heard my sister complaining again about somebody in the church. And uh, so I just asked her. I said, "Are you, are you willing to let other people be imperfect?" Mm. She got pissed. <laughs> And I thought I'd won, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I took a socially, I took a point and, um, and then I realized I was the one who was unwilling to let her be imperfect. Hmm. <laughs> I was as or more guilty than what I was accusing her of. Interesting. It's crazy the way it all shapes out, you know? Uh-huh. Yes, it is. Um, so did we already hit the lowest point in your life? Was was that the moment when your dad was gone? Uh, I think I think I think almost that point of you know trying to man up and trying to fix it and and being met with that resistance was probably as low, if not lower, than all the times before. So you actually tried to man up as the 11-year-old kid. And I was a little bit older at that time, probably 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. Okay, so now you're the adolescent, but you're the oldest. So the man card falls on you. I really, I very much felt like that, you know, because I, I felt like every other weekend I had to take care of my brothers. Right. And whether I did or didn't, you know, there, you know both could be argued, but in my mind... I was now the provider at 14 years old. And I think I, I took that maybe too seriously sometimes. And I felt like I had to protect my mom and like all these roles were put upon me and I had no idea what to do with them. Yeah. And at 14, there's no way you could handle a role like that. No way. 
And yet you tried to do it anyway, and I'm sure that caused a lot of things. Yeah, that's that's not something I've ever dealt with, and I, I can only imagine. Um, but what I see is a couple of very difficult moments. So you, you're that age, you go to your dad, he shuts you down. Now fast forward another half dozen years, you go to your mission president with problems, and he shuts you down. You're low again. Yeah. And that might be one reason why the second event was so low for you, is it probably felt a lot like the first one. That's exactly why it was so low. And the, the thing that was really cool playing into this is I had two mission presidents. Uh-huh. And the first was incredible. Uh-huh. And every interview I had with him, he would hound me. How's your relationship with your dad? And before my mission, I'd really tried to, to let it go and to forgive and, you know, to leave on good terms. Uh-huh. But I was still harboring some of that. Right. And he hounded me so hard about forgiving my dad, learning how to forgive, figuring it out, do what you can. And I didn't realize until I was in that situation with the second mission president what he was trying to prepare me for. That's interesting. Uh, I, I, I'm taking voice lessons. And uh, one of the songs I'm working on is a country song. I'm not a country singer. At least I don't love country. I may be a country singer in the future. Who knows? But there's a uh, there's a phrase, uh, don't hold a grudge, and here's why bitterness keeps you from flying. Mm. And then it and then it goes on. And if you're on a mission and and you need to be on a spiritual high, you, there can't be bitterness. Right. It holds you back. It's it's a weight in right. every sense of the word. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. no flying with that hundred pound anchor. Yeah. Going on. The that lowest point then for you. How was that a blessing? I think it was a blessing because it started this whole process of learning to forgive. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's invaluable. And not that I figured it out, but I think I'm a lot further ahead from where I would have been. I believe, I, I know that you're much further ahead than me. Um, and I've got a friend uh, who lives across the street and down a little bit, and he, he loves everybody. And I'm like, how can you love everybody? Some people just suck. Right. Uh, but he's got that magic sauce, and I, I, I sounds like you've got some of it too. If I had your gifts in that category, um, I wouldn't have the bitterness that sometimes keeps me from flying. Hmm. Um, that's a gift, and I'm sure you'll be using that in the future, as uh, especially as you get married, yeah. and and there are arguments and there's grr. Yeah, you you both will be exercising plenty of uh, forgiveness, right. I'm sure. Yeah, that, that's a good gift to have. Yeah, good to get a head start on. <laughs> Definitely a lot more to go, but. Let's talk about your mom. What did you learn from her? Uh, she is awesome. She is so tough, and I think that that's one of the things that I really admire about her and that I've tried to emulate is she's very selfless. Okay. She's always thinking about somebody else. You know, there was weeks I remember when we were real young and she would work 70-hour weeks, right? And and that's so hard when you've got, I was the oldest. I don't remember how old I was, but I have twin brothers that are two years younger than me. Yeah, so you, you're the mom trying to work that many hours to keep the kids fed with one of them having separation anxiety issues. Yeah. Yeah, and she was... 
she's awesome and she still is and just that the grit and the toughness that she has but also her skill to forgive because she's got this situation where she's you know there's this anything that my dad did to me i'm sure was worse for her i I can't being imagine being on that end of a divorce but she's forgiven or at least reconciled enough to where she's coordinated the wedding with him right we want him to be involved and she's more than willing to work with him she coordinated his wedding uh sorry my wedding okay with you know but keeping him involved and she intentionally kept him involved yeah i remember we we sat down with nathan and brenda a few nights ago and we were talking about what the dads were going to wear and and i made the point that i don't want my dad to feel left out Right. He doesn't have to buy a suit if he doesn't want to, but why don't we get him a flower? Why don't we get him the same color tie? And my mom was leaps and bounds ahead of me on that. You know, she had already reached out to him with what needed to be done and she was counting him and all the, you know, the counts and the things. And I just thought that that is so powerful that she's gotten to that point of forgiveness that now she's trying to include him. Yeah. Yeah. I am definitely not as far down the road as your mom either. <laughs> She's incredible. She really is. Yeah, yeah. Um, why do you think God chose her for to be your mom? What what three traits does she have that uh, you desperately needed and had to have? Mm. I think somebody that was selfless, uh-huh. somebody that was forgiving, especially because even, I'm even noticing this now. I'll make her so mad unintentionally and she's so quick to forgive and i think that that's such a huge trait for someone in that situation because she could have more harbored animosity than anybody else Uh and it would have really weighed her down and she certainly wouldn't be where she is and so i've had a great example of forgiveness a great example of hard work and a near perfect example of making the most of whatever situation you're in Do you think that if your mom knew that a nasty divorce that would level the entire family would also result in you and perhaps your brothers learning those traits, would she pick that? I think she would. I think that she has seen the benefits and you know, she knows what kind of good has come from such a bad situation. And she says all the time, you know, I don't, I don't hate your dad because, you know, he was integral in giving me you guys. And she realizes that things work out the way they're supposed to be and they don't have to be fair and they don't have to be, you know, good even for good to come out of it. And that's something that I just admire so much. And I I really do think that she, if it would benefit me and the boys, she would absolutely do it again. You're 21 now? Almost. I'm only 20. Okay. 20-year-old Tegan gets to go back to 11-year-old Tegan. You got a time machine, but it's only going to let you be there for one minute. Hmm. Then you're back. What are you going to tell them? I think, you know, I'm hesitant to change anything because I really think that I I learned at the rate I needed to. And I wish it could have been faster and I wish it could have been different. 
but it's played out pretty well. But I think I would really just tell myself that he's going to be okay. And that it's not his doing, and it's not on his shoulders. That's something I've always struggled with. I love to put everything in my backpack and start going up the hill. When a lot of it is unnecessary. It's unnecessary weight. It's unnecessary stress and pressure that I put on myself that can be shared or cannot be carried at all. And really, I mean, that's a lot to explain to an 11-year-old in one minute. Uh But trying to get him to understand that, I think, would have been huge. Hey, thank you for listening to this Manalizing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalizing. Manalizing Manalizing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalizing.com. Thank you.